Hello and welcome to episode 28 overall of the Talking Toro podcast. We're in our second season, as you may have noticed by now. Uh, and with me, as always, is my guest, Peter Bourne. Uh, Peter, only Torino can change the ecstasy from Wednesday night to um, whatever the feeling we felt after uh, Sunday's disappointing 1-0 defeat against Spezia. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game? So that's utterly predictable, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what was worse yesterday. There was um, the fact that we got two points from four home games against Sassuolo, Empoli, Verona, and now Spezia is, I think, says a lot because they've all come at different stages of the season as well. Like, like some people will will you will paint the tired brush and. Um, uh, the lack of prepar- relative lack of preparation time post Milan for the Spezia one, but I think there's a general trend there. We really, we're really struggling to break teams down. We're very easy to play against. We're all of those opponents in all four of those matches have done nothing to earn their goal against us. Yet they've got a break. And to be honest, I mean the goals have come at different times, but yeah, we've never then looked like winning those matches and. Yeah, I mean, just just massively disappointing. It was, uh, I think, after about seven minutes. I I didn't watch the game live, but I I kind of turned my phone off uh, to not get the to not receive the result, and then kind of watched it a little bit later. And after about seven minutes, I just thought, it's one of those Torino don't grow into matches under Juric. Either either has to be game plan executed uh, from the beginning, or uh, it's going to be a very hard watch, and it was a very hard watch. Um, and yeah, I think oh, seven minutes, fifteen minutes, but it just—you could tell our key pe- key players were not on form, not fit. He picked the wrong team, made the wrong substitutions. I thought Juric had a, had a kind of disaster post Milan. Everything he's done has been a disaster. He gave a stupid press conference, in my view, before this match where you call tenth place in this crappy, you know, edition of Serie A. You call this tenth place, the Scudetto for this Torino team, a, ter- a team which I can't remember. We finished ninth or tenth last year. Not that it ma- matters very much, but you're going into this game basically saying mediocre, mediocrity is is acceptable. You're saying we're already in tenth place, so we don't need to try much harder. Um, and then you pick a team which very strange that you're picking a team that. You know, a lot of those players gave everything on Wednesday night, but I know the squad in some senses is small, is short in quality. Um, but I really think he, not only in hindsight, but at the time, he, just to make that one change was was very surprising. Obviously, he got caught out with potentially two players getting injured at half time. Um, yeah, just massively disappointed. And then you look in the, in the stands and you got 75 minutes in our president, Urban Cairo. Uh, his main preoccupation was trying to get crisps, uh, trying trying to stuff his face from a massive bag of crisps. By the look of it, I mean Vagnati and Moretti. Every time it shots them, were on their phone, so they could. I mean, they could well be working hard in transfer market. They could be a wordle, uh, but I don't know. Just the optics weren't very good. And then, and then, and then we have our social media channel, um, you know, announcing our new signing number twenty six, Kevin Spacey. And- yeah, I think all we can regarding the Kevin Spacey then, which obviously we got to be very careful on but I'm guessing anybody listening to this podcast might be able to understand why it probably wasn't the best celebrity guests to invite to a football match um, 
let alone then broadcast that on your social media channels. Um, and I think this is something that we've sort of bemoaned that the social media people at Torino have let go of or missed opportunities to maybe get certain people involved in the club. And if there are sort of guests from America or England in the city, then yeah, invite them to a game and, and sort of um, make it highlight that fact, but just pick the right people. Um, and yeah, Kevin Spacey is probably given some issues that we're not going to go into in this podcast. Um, I don't understand that no, not one person thought, is this a good idea? Um, so yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think maybe the, the moral of that story is actually just, just stick to, um, just let the social media stick to uh, Google Translate and, um, yeah, and wish people happy birthday like four days after the fact. <laughs> or players that don't play for us anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, just it it just wasn't a great day, especially after the 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 kind of high on of the Milan performance. But yeah, some people say well, you, you get a better, better podcast out of a one nil defeat uh, at home to Spezia than you do a then you, you know then you do an epic win a win against uh, Milan. So well, let's be the, let's be the judge of that. But anybody who's anybody who's watching Torino games and wondering how good the podcast is going to be after the facts due to the result, I'm a little bit worried because. We, we we should not be dictating the uh, the sort of nature of the podcast. It should be the performance on the field that allows the podcast to sort of improve. If 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 this podcast is better because Torino are worse, then what does that say? Well, in, indeed, but yeah, at least well, to be fair, at least probably what we need because I think the the results of of, uh, of Wednesday night against Milan are, are few and far between, unfortunately. And if anybody's come to this podcast quite late and this sort of discovered the pods and we're looking for a Italian team to follow um and you think every you, there's going to be sort of constant highs then I think we are going to be the bearers of bad news and be, that's just not quite how it works here um I, yeah I, but as I say just it I feel it should all be a bit different right now though it's I think that I you know on many levels that that in there should have been more investment in the team um, but also the team should, you know, we those four home games I mentioned earlier are not, you know, not the only poor results of the season. This should be a lot better than it is. That's and I think maybe, yeah, maybe we need to break break that down a little bit in in this episode of kind of why things aren't working out and and how things can be turned around. One of my frustrations, just quickly before we sort of get on to what what might need to be improved, is I, I do think that the performance and the manner of the victory against Milan, which obviously we mentioned a few times already. That will have encouraged people to go to the stadium and go to the game on Sunday. It, it, the Maratona looked pretty full, but the rest of the stadium was was quite sparsely populated. Um, I'm just thinking for a sort of maybe a casual Torino fan or somebody who doesn't go to every, uh, it's it's probably quite difficult to explain to people who aren't sort of familiar with with English football in terms of in England. Obviously, you know you're sort of very passionate match-going fans. They will go and follow their team sort of anywhere, travel whatever ridiculous distances. They've got their season ticket and go every game. In Italy, I wouldn't say the coaches as much as that. As, as you probably find more more passionate Torino fans who never go to the stadium than than maybe you would find the odd casual fan who, who, who will go to the game. Um, so I don't think a lack of attendance... The atten- poor attendances don't show particularly maybe an apathy to Torino, maybe just 
that they don't enjoy going to the games or the stadium's maybe not as good as watching yeah. the TV. I think there's two, probably two teams in Italy who have the worst attendances. I think Torino and Lazio, relative to the fan base. I'm not saying, I think Torino should, you know, I think that stadium's too small, but it's not too small in reality because because um, we're not filling it. But I think if Torino built a proper English style, 38,000 all-seater stadium with great facilities, okay, there's, you're going to need um, a team playing better than the one in there. But I think I think the crowds will be bigger. I think if you had a a, a bigger Maratona as well, which is where people want to go to. Um, but I think, yeah, if you look at our attendances over the past few seasons, um, they perform much better on a Saturday or Sunday night. Um, because I think in January in Turin there are other competing factors, you know, when people, maybe more casual fans of a choice to want to freeze in the stadium watching a team that's only scored two goals, for, uh, <laughs> two goals five times this season and never more than two goals. Um, and, or do I go skiing? Do I go into the mountains? Um, so I, you know, I think January probably is a bit of a time of year anyway where, Yes, some people are a bit more reluctant to go to the stadium, but I think yeah, it's just it's kind of been born out of lack of ambition um, over yeah. over a long time, and I th- and, and I think I think this I th- look we're going to Eurich is not going to come out well out of it, this particular episode of the podcast, but I like I quite I like Eurich, I like I, I like a lot about what he's done with the team, but at the moment we're a really hard watch. We're we're not entertaining to watch at all. We're we're, we're pretty dull. And the two games, Verona and Spezia, we've we've barely created anything. We and yes, the, Verona was a frustration because I thought I thought we were going to play a lot better, and he kind of put it down to a bit of rustiness. Yesterday, Spezia deserved to win two nil. I mean, yeah, you know, no, I, was, I actually I actually felt the difference between the two games, the two home games that we've had since the since the new year. Obviously, Verona got. A goal from a set piece, and that was really the all, all they offered. I actually thought Spezia played quite well, even before the goal. They had a little bit of pressure, maybe getting to Inzola a little bit later when we talk about sort of maybe what Torino can do to to improve the situation. But they had opportunities on the counter attack, and if you if you had to bet a lot of money on on who was going to score, if if a, if a team was going to score a, a, a second goal in the game, who would it be? Then I'd have bet on Spezia because I don't think yeah, I totally agree. I don't think Torino really had. Any opportunities? It was just before half time. Um, Vlasic scored the uh, disallowed goal, which was, I mean, Sanabria was about three yards offside, um, and and almost sums up our, our lack of imagination. That that's probably the best opportunity we had, which was a goal that was obviously never going to count. Yeah, the best three minutes we had were the three minutes after half time. We thought, oh, hang on, they've. They've had a bit of a, a team talk. He's made two changes. I mean, the changes um, at the time seemed strange. Rodriguez, I could understand because you're going to get a better passer out the back and maybe start playing some longer balls. But I I thought Gigi might be the one to come off because he got another yellow card again. And I thought, that, you know, it would have been typical had he managed to get himself sent off in the second half. And then, yeah, Lukic hadn't played well. But I was expecting maybe a Seco Karama to come on at half time or 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 Um and that's maybe someone we, we will come on to. But I think what kind of dawned on me yesterday was compared to last season, 
one of the keys last season was the triangles that we play between Priet, Brecolo, Sanabria, sometimes Bobega in those forward areas. And when it worked, it worked really well. And there were probably five or six games last season where we blew teams away, not necessarily by the end scoreline, but by the performance. This season, I don't. I, don't, I think Brecolo and Priet at the moment proving better players, better fits than Moranchuk and Vlasic. I think Moranchuk does a lot in isolation, but um, or, yeah, also uh, has large moments of game where probably a bit like Brecolo, where he's not not there, but also gives the ball away a lot. The other frustration, not just yesterday, in a lot of recent matches, is we don't play the obvious pass. Sometimes, you know, we've got a player on the other side of the pitch, wide open. Yeah, either we don't have the vision to make the pass or we go backwards to restart and then try and make the pass that we should have made two or three moves earlier. I um, think a lot, a lot of the times we're almost reliant on Ivan Jemlinkovic to try and produce a, a long pass. If you think of one of the guys I think we scored against Milan was from a long ball from from Milinkovic-Savic. And I, I agree. I think there's a definite lack of creativity. I wouldn't say Lukic and Richie particularly creative centre midfielders. I think they're solid, but I think they're probably a little bit too similar. I think maybe a player like Pabega, somebody who's really missed, somebody who can sort of run with the ball from midfield and sort of go past a couple of players and sort of cause a little bit of disrup- disruption, a bit of chaos, really. Um, maybe not most technically gifted player, but he was very effective, especially in games like the the sort of three that we've had since since Christmas, where that there are teams who are getting it back. They're, they're they're wanting to play on the counter attack, and that's almost the way I think we we've been better against the better sides. It was all last season. We the performances were always very good against the better sides, but then we weren't getting the results. Whereas this season, if you think we were sort of twenty seconds away from beating Roma away, beat Milan, I think almost that sort of suits us. And obviously, beating Milan in the Coppa Italia with ten men as well probably further evidence of that too. No, yeah, no, definitely. It's been, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, not talking too far ahead, but we'll talk about Fiorentina a bit later. But I suspect we'll go to Florence on Saturday evening and play quite well. Um, may not get the result there, but it's, yeah, we need to, we, we certainly need to find solutions for, for definitely these home matches. But, you know, it's, as I said, we've, we've only, scored two goals five times we haven't scored more than two goals we're not an attacking threat um and you can't rely on set pieces you can't rely on punts from your goalkeeper you're going to need different ways to unlock defenses and unfortunately Vlasic are not someone I want to hammer if you excuse the bad pun but I think he just looks tired and he, he should have been rotated yesterday but then you look at the alternatives. I mean, Radonjic, I, at the, this moment in time, I drive back to Marseille. You can you can see why um, it's not worked out for him at Marseille and Benfica. He, um, earlier in the season, he kind of, he, he had a few kind of move, a few kind of tricks that he showed off. But I think I think very quickly defenses have realised how to mark him. And I just don't think yesterday he couldn't beat a man. He gave the ball away, barely tracked back when he gave the ball away. Um, and that combination with, uh, with him and Voivoda down the left is just, I, I mean, again, the commentator yesterday was saying Voivoda was one of our better players, but I mean, maybe he was, but the, the whole team was, yeah, the whole team was pretty dreadful. But Voivoda's form is, he shouldn't be anywhere near the team. Um, and I just, uh, I'll make a final point is we, we won at Milan 
in Milan, we had two players who had the night of their careers, albeit I'm very conscious Brian Baye only played for nine minutes and um, but did but did like set up did, the winning did set up the winning goal. Set up the winning goal and was could Brian Baye play any worse than against I thought Singo shouldn't have started yesterday because he clearly wasn't match fit. Um would he have done any worse? I don't think so. At least we would have learned something about a different player. Adopo, uh, who samples we've seen a lot more of. Um, why doesn't he come on and bring some energy into that midfield? Uh, and it's just, yeah, you know, those two players are just going to be so full of confidence and they get rewarded with, with what? And Adopo's out of contract. There's talk of us wanting. Why would he sign a contract? The club clearly have no faith in him. And if he can't get a game, if he can't get a game now where we're a little bit down to bare bones, where yeah, at the moment we're not at risk of of getting into the relegation area, we're seemingly not got ambitions in Europe through the league. Then why why not try these younger players out? But it's, it's very strange. I think just touching on on what you said earlier about Juric's pre match press conference, like it's almost like a how to kill the confidence. It was almost like a, a tuition on how to get the confidence of two young players in sort of thirty seconds because he basically came out and was like, "Oh yeah, Dopo and Baye did well, but they're young players and sort of basically just a fluke." They're not like, that young. They're not that young. Well, in Italy, in Italy, they yeah. might as well be. They're not six. They're not uh, sixteen. You yeah. know. But I mean, imagine. It's... I mean, imagine we did have a. Imagine we did have like a seventeen, eighteen year old on the fringe of the first team. They'd sort of be be lucky to even. I mean, poor Matthew Garvey. We got one. Uh, poor Matthew. We Garvey. got one. Where's Ilkan? I know he's well. I know the answer is he's injured, but yeah, he yeah Ilkan got one chance and uh, or well, two chances, and we've not seen him. You know, we've not seen him since he and, didn't and pick up and, uh, and Brozovic. And harsh as as harsh as it is, you can sort of almost understand then having that bit being a little bit wary of of a younger player because obviously they've, they've made a mistake, which has then led to a goal. But I, I've like Bayi and Adopo, like say, are a little bit older, maybe not as experienced in, in the top level, but they've played a lot of Serie G games and they they were sort of the key members or key players in terms of us getting through against Milan. And yeah, I just think even even without say say they just not say not said anything about them in a the press conference or or more, almost like big them up a little bit and then still not played them. Like I just think that would be disappointing, but you'd be just like, oh well maybe it just it wasn't right they went for the experienced players. But like he, almost before the game, it was sort of evident that they weren't going to play, and it almost—I don't know—I think Juric is just a bit. I agree. I think if, you've got to think back to where we were before Juric took over, where we'd had sort of two two seasons fighting relegation. So you've got to be very very careful about sort of being ungrateful for what Juric has provided. He's provided two seasons of of Torino being a side who can sort of in no danger of relegation can get the odd great performance and and obviously we're thankful for that but some of the things he does and some of the decisions he makes it is quite infuriating this is a man who left Verona because they were content with 10th place and is now talking about 10th place being but, a Scudetto for Torino and it, it's yeah, just mean, it's inconsistent and it's it it doesn't make any sense to me I think it's a it's a man preparing for another job I think well, I just, yeah, I mean, some of the rhetoric that, you know, we're on a par with Spezia. I, we lost us, we struggled to beat Spezia in one sense, but the ambitions of Spezia and the ambitions of Torino should be different. Yeah. Um, 
Bologna, he says we go to Bologna, we should be in awe in awe of the Bologna squad. Really, really, you know, um, it's just, just yeah, kind of saying some very, very strange things. And then what? Yeah, that worries me as well. I mean, the the Coppa Italian may way well save our season, especially if we can get to the semi-finals. Um, and I know we were on a little bit of a high last week, but there there, there is the opportunity there, and you know. Fiorentina are probably a higher profile team. They've probably got more quality players than us, but it is a match that's that's for the taking. Um, after that, we're very likely to play teams who are on paper far superior than us. Um, but what worries me as well is a little bit of transfer rumours. I mean, the the main ones are we're trying to sign Hien. We talked last week at the Verona Swedish defender who... Yeah, we probably should have signed in the summer, but talk of us signing him to park him at Verona until the rest of the season, which, okay. Um, and then Illich, um, let's talk of us investing quite a lot in in him. And yeah, kind of back back a big, is he what we need? Well, he's only what we need because Lukic is probably going to go. So we're not actually, in, we're once again, let a player run his contract down. Um, and replacing him and spending all of our money kind of in an area at the moment that may not need and I, uh, investment. Again, I think... I, 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 and I don't think he'll sign. I don't. I think I've seen talk of Premier League team. I just don't think we'll get that one over the line anyway. But it's just what I know. The transfer market is incredibly complicated. But it'd be nice. You know, we're probably going to play six, seven, eight games in January. Decisive for our season, really. If we'd got seven points in the last three games, would be we'd be looking at probably you know a, a very different second half of the season. Yet we've not invested, and um, you know to invest at the end of January, great, but it's 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 too late in some senses at that point. I think my worry obviously with the with the link with the end as well is whether they're looking for the future and they're thinking oh well Scherz is a quite a good season so maybe we can sell him Lukic is obviously not not happy so let's get rid of him and then we can bring in Illich if we do that now then it's going to be cheaper than um, trying to sign a replacement when we've got when sort of we've got money that we've received for Lukic and and the, the areas that the, the team is screaming out for are sort of I mean is it possible or is the squad allergic to having a left back who's actually left footed? And I don't mean Ricardo Rodriguez. And I don't mean Ricardo yes. Rodriguez. Um, yeah. Just a Christian and Saudi sort of masks that that area uh, in this in this team for for a good couple of seasons, based on the fact that he still wasn't left footed, but had quite a good left foot. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean the best left footed. The the, le- the best Torino left back, other than players we're not allowed to mention on this podcast anymore. It's quite, I mean, it's quite slim pickings. Um, Molinari and Parisi sort of are pro- probably rate quite highly in that category, which probably says a lot. Well, the problem is, yeah, even Molinaro, who was a solid pro, but Molinaro was Molinaro. Um, we haven't had a left back capable of getting to the byline for a long, long time. But uh, Balzaretti, uh, there probably has been one or two here and there, but Barreca had, really... had a good six. Uh, yeah, Bre- Bre- yeah, it's a good point. Barreca before he lost his weight, or he, yeah, he got a bit big for his boots. Um, but 
Yeah, it's like it's. I don't understand that either. And I said, Voivoda is just, it's so predictable. I mean, he's got the Ansaldi move where he tries to come always back inside, yeah, but overdo- yeah. overdoes it half time, loses but, the ball. But why um, why Ansaldi was good with that was that I think his crossing with his left foot was almost as good as with his right. So yeah, if if a defender sort of sort of preempted the the switch on the right foot, he would just then whip it in with his left because he's gained that yard. Whereas everyone knows that Voivoda's left foot cross is going to be it's going to be rubbish. So. They're able to prepare for that, and uh, I mean, I and don't and, and let him and let him deliver a terrible right foot yeah. cross. It doesn't beat and, the and first like, man. I mean, uh, Tino Lazaro has been injured for two games, and I still can't. I just can't wait for him to come back. I mean, I'm wanting Alorana to get back at this rate because I thought Singo and and Voivoda were probably two of our worst performers in. in yeah, the game. I'm not, and, and Singo, what I can give a little bit of sympathy for because he did look absolutely shattered. Um. But, I mean, these are also two players who I believe go are out of contract next season. Singo, probably, Voivoda's probably desperate for a new contract because I don't see him getting, a, like, I don't think see there being too many clubs sort of queuing up for him. He's probably wanting to get a little bit more money to stay at Torino. Whereas Singo's been linked with sort of Barcelona and to, whilst that is Barcelona and Tottenham and whilst they're probably unrealistic based on his current performance with his potential and his age which I think is probably something we do forget he is he is still very young and like I just yeah I just can't see the the singer that burst onto the scene against against Roma I don't think we've seen in two and a half years probably probably since that game no no Singo is his qualities are his very good recovery pace He's actually quite a good defender. He did start as a centre back, so you can sort of. Yeah. I think it, it was he was moved to be a right back by by Primavera coach, which was quite a late sort of decision in his in his progression. Yeah, but I actually think it's I think he's a lot better defensively than he is offensively, and offensively he's got that one tunnel which he'll do three times a season and it will come off. But I I don't think really I've seen Singo get take on that last defender against the byline too much recently anyway and that could be instructions from Urich as well but yeah I the other thing I found strange is the sec caramel thing like the way they're they can disappear for weeks and weeks and then why I don't get why caramel came on as a centre forward when I think he'd probably a lot better running at people on the right and sec comes on to play at the right when he'd done okay as a centre forward against Milan and and, and, that, and one thing that we probably one of our biggest criticisms against Juric is, is that when things don't go wrong, but things aren't going right, he won't change the, the system. And he did do that against Empoli and bought Caramel on. They they got rid of a centre-back, I think, bought Caramel on to be sort of almost like a... I, I don't even really know, know what position he was playing, but he was just causing a nuisance on the right wing and sort of created a couple of opportunities, could have scored a winner, um, contributed to equaliser. And still, we don't seem to sort of change things up. It like even it, a lot of the changes are just very like for like. It's Marantchukov, Karamaran, sort of Redanya. Yeah, it's it, it's, th- it's very like for like. You don't need at certain points of the game. You don't need three centre halves in a when you're yeah when you're going for the game against a team that's. Spectre a bit more of a threat on the counter attack than other teams have been, but yeah, you'd just like to see that last twenty minutes. I would have rather lost two nil, even three nil, with us going for it, rather than just utter predictability of what and what we're doing. But 
Let's take the final few things on the match. Uh, There's not something I mentioned in the summer, but I actually one of the players I thought Torino could have picked up was Ethan Ampadu. And I thought in all the times he's played against us, I'm not saying he's what we need necessarily, but I think he'd be quite a good player at plugging the gaps and giving a lot of energy. I thought he played well yesterday. And I was just, I remember we were talking about this, the players to sign in the summer and he was someone I had down, written down. I'm not sure I ever mentioned him, but I think it would have been quite an easy pickup from Torino. And I, think- the, the, I know you want to talk about Enzola as well. And the second thing I wanted to say about Spezia was, uh, that kit's not doing it for me. It's, it's all. It's 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 like a Sunday league kit with we're, fifteen sponsors on it. And... We're gonna have to. If you ignore the sponsors, I just like the. I mean, you don't see that, that those colours on a, on any of the kits. Yeah, just it does look like it's been made as like a year five like competition to create a football kit. But oh, inspired by Peter Peter Michael's Man United goalkeeping yeah, jersey. In I, I do quite like it. And when I saw when I saw them lining up for the. Um, so sort of like the the Serie A anthem and um, doing the handshakes and stuff. I could see a little glimpse of yellow underneath their sort of tracksuit tops, and I was like, "Oh, they are wearing the away kit," and that's probably as good as the game got for me. Um, I think I totally agree with Ampadu. My only concern is I think with the, in a Torino side, he would probably only fit in and maybe like in the back three, and I I get the feeling Chelsea have made they see him as a centre midfielder in long term. That's where plays for Wales and that's probably part of his contract for for getting a loan to Spezia is the fact that he has to play as a centre centre midfielder rather than a centre back and obviously if Torino were to purchase him, I mean Chelsea probably got enough enough players to field about six teams, but if if we were to look at him as a as a signing it would I would only be interested in signing him permanently. I don't think there'd be any point in, in just having him on a loan where sort of Chelsea can dictate as and when, as and where he plays, uh, and yeah, and then just quickly on Zola, I'm not. I, I remember the the sort of famous four-one uh, defeat uh, in May 2021, where he absolutely tore us apart. Uh, and I don't haven't seen too much of him uh, since then, obviously, other than the Torino games. Um, but yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was really good again. Sort of a threat in behind, really good, holding the ball up. Um, penalty. Uh, the commentator seemed to think it was very. Uh... Any penalty that goes in, commentators thinks great. So just, yeah, yeah, I, think it, was... I, I thought I thought Milinkovic-Savic was probably a bit disappointed he didn't save it. But um, yeah, I think that is a deal that can be done, should be done. Uh, like he, I think he's the third top scorer in the league now, or joint second, I think, with Latoro Martinez. He's contracts out up in the summer. Like, just get a deal done with Anzola on a pre-contract, so we've got him. And then, then go to Spezia and be like, "We're going to give you this amount of money. We want him now because it's. It, I think that's a no-brainer. I'd rather get that sorted than get Sharamadov from uh, Roma, who who just doesn't score many goals. No, yeah, I, I have a feeling Enzelli will be a flop if we signed him. But oh, one hundred percent. But I'm not. I'm not saying that. Just have, I'm not saying that just to be. You've got yeah. to at least have a little bit. Like it, it's a sort of signing that makes sense. And if it doesn't work, and it's Torino, it won't work. But this is a this is a deal that makes sense. And I think a lot of times we we try four things which which don't make sense. Yeah, I think fact is, is he better than what we've got? Yes. Do we need another centre forward? Yes. Do I think he would be a success? I, I, I'm not sure. I could, might just see him being one of those players who's. Um, 
big fish in in a small pond. Um, but let's see. All right, we've got Spezia out of system. You're ready. You're ready to talk about one of your favourite ever Torino players, aren't you? Look how excited you are. I am. I'm sure people can probably guess, but here is a little clue in case you're not so sure. Lianco time. Vives and Alessio Cerci, Alessio Cerci, Alessio Cerci, Marrar, what's that? What's that? What's that? was a, a little bit of audio from one of Rob's, Rob's heroes. Rob's probably the captain of Rob's all time Torino 11. Um, I remember, I remember probably, you know, back in the day where, this player was tearing it up in Serie A. That, yeah, we used to have quite a debate. You you really like this player. For me, yeah, it's not that I didn't I didn't like him, but I, I certainly didn't like I I could never quite understand why you loved him so much. But it here, here's your moment to tell me why you love Omar El Kadori. Well, it, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty good. It's taken twenty eight episodes for me to even bring him up as a as a Torah hero. She's too busy talking about Southampton, that's uh, why. Well, yeah, I've not or mentioned, yeah, I've not mentioned a certain striker either today. But um he and he he's a, it was he's not so obviously he's not the best player that's played for Torino in my era of him being of me being a fan. Um but I just liked him and I, I think I crowned myself as the sort of unofficial um sort of chair of the Omar El Kadori fan club quite early on in his Torino career. He only played two full seasons for us, which Shows how sort of memory can be a um, a strange yeah, thing. That... I always felt he, he he played longer, but he was he was never actually a, a permanent three day player. He had, he had two loan spells, both from that's, Napoli. That's what I was going to say. We never owned him, and I have the same sensation. I felt like he played for us for about four seasons, but yeah. I just think that Ventura team as well was just there were a, a lot of players who were there for quite a while, and we just yeah. And, and he... the, I think you, I think Brett mentioning the Ventura sort of era obviously is when El Kadiri was playing sort of between 2013 and 2015 there wasn't a lot of sort of flair creativity a player who wasn't uh, you had your sort of Alessandro Gatsis you had your uh, Giuseppe Vivases who were unbelievably sort of gifted players in, in terms of what they did for the team so Gatsi a brilliant tackler Vives I think really underrated and probably some of the unlucky nuts have been mentioned a lot, a lot before now but El Kaduri was just a little bit different in that sort of he had a little bit of flair. He had a bit of technical ability. He, he would dribble past opponents in which wasn't a constant thing in, in those Ventura teams. I mean, if we complain about the sort of Europe, the, the style of football under Europe, which Ventura's football was effective, but it wasn't particularly entertaining either. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I just always had a bit of a soft spot for, for Omar. Um, he, he played 76 games for, for Torino, which is an impressive amount, bear in mind, as we said. 
never actually owned uh, by the club. We're both on, uh, on a, I think it was a two-year loan spell from Napoli. Um, he scored nine goals, and you probably wouldn't remember any of them as being particularly sort of standouts. Um, he did get us into the Europa League uh, group stages with a penalty against RNK split, which I'm sure everybody will uh, will remember that. That's the the big, probably not even the the third biggest team from split, but Torino did struggle past them. I can remember it being sort of touch and go as to whether we were going to uh, have to go to because uh, I can't remember if we beat them in the away leg or whether it was nil nil in the away leg and then it was nil nil and then yeah, yeah that was, was the only goal. Nil, yeah, it was a one nil at home and then they were. They were pressing sort of last 15, 20 minutes. And I, I did feel like we, we were on the verge of potentially having an embarrassing um, exit. Um, and yeah, I think, I, I don't think he, as I said, he, not the best player. I have an, a rational like of this player. I, I, I would obviously would never put him, as Peter might, Peter might suggest, I'd put him as the captain of my all-time Torino team. He probably wouldn't make the... Um, all-time Torino team, sort of from my era, he probably he would he wouldn't even make the eleven. But um, I think I'd find a space for him on the bench. Um, I, I just think he was he offered something a little bit different in what was quite a team, a little bit devoid of flair. Um, obviously, he had Churchy Immobile in his first season, but if you even think about, I think his performance in the derby, which we may get on to a little bit later with uh, Peter's villain, but the Derby victory 2015, I think, was probably one of his better performances, and sort of showed what we could do, especially in sort of like a in it. He played a lot in maybe a three-five-two, and there would be sort of uh, two really more defensive midfielders, and then El Kadiri would have maybe the license where he wasn't particularly, he wasn't quite a Trey Quartista, but he was sort of an advanced attacking option on that left-hand side, and. I think it's a dribble from El Kaduri, which then sets um, Damian off, and then the uh, the winner is is scored in, in that game. And I think that that's it was why it was in a in a team that didn't have a lot of flair. El Kaduri provided that, and obviously was never actually owned by Torino. So I think went back to and again, it is strange how the memory works because he did actually go back to Napoli and played uh, a few games for Napoli. And scored in them. Um, then uh, went to Empoli. I think that was a permanent move. Uh, and now he's currently residing and playing in Greece um, for uh, Pauk. And do you know that he scored in the Europa Conference League quarterfinals last season, Peter? So well, he, won, he won the league. He's won the league in Greece as well. He won the league, yeah, he's, he's won the been... league in Greece. I can't. I'm not. A th- a huge avid watcher of the Greek Super League, but just looking at his stats, he seems to be a bit of a squad player even when they won the league. But he's been there six seasons, so certainly the yeah, the longest spell he's had anywhere. Just uh I just wanted to double check um whether oh did that I know it would have been um Benfica then. I was looking because obviously he scored in the came off the bench to score against Marseille in the Europa Conference League last season. I was just wondering whether our friend um whether our friends uh, Radonjic could have played in that game, but he would have been off in uh, Benfica at that time. But um, it would have not been in Benfica. Uh, does give me the opportunity to mention a, a Torino centre back who isn't 
Lianke there because um, Dujay Shalata Shah, which I've de- definitely pronounced incorrectly, mm. uh, who currently applies his trade at Southampton, did play in that game. But I think, yeah, I, I think this is probably going to be one which a lot of people aren't going to agree with me. And if they, they are probably fully entitled to do so. Um, but yeah, it's somebody who I think has always been an inside joke in this pod. It's probably one of the first things that we used to maybe disagree on before the podcast uh, was created and we'd have our sort of discussions on Twitter and I was the the biggest uh, Al-Qaduri fan that you could find and Peter wasn't convinced as much. But I'm putting him in the team and he will, uh, yeah, I, I, again, on the bench. He, he's not he's not going to be troubling the uh, the first 11, but well, I think is an option. He, he, he did offer a little bit that the other players at that time did not. Yeah, no, I think you've I think you've said most of it. I mean, the, the first season of Ventura when we came back, we we really struggled. Um, I think it was Churchy and Bianchi mainly for the creativity, but um, we really struggled with that kind of third player. I think we had Santana, Alan Stefanovic, Walter Bursa, um, and then El Cadori came in the season after. So it was kind of a, a tridente, wasn't there, with Immobile and Churchy. Um, sometimes when we were playing really negatively, then with um, Medjurini. Um, what I remember about me did well, he used to carry the ball quite well. Uh, he used to be the one player, I mean, Churchy could as well, but um, El Cadori would tend to run in a straight line with the ball, but could could really bring Torino, especially on the counter-attack, he could be that player who would deliver the ball to, to Churchy or, or, or to Immobile. Do I don't think you... He- do you know who reminds me of a little bit? And uh, like, uh, and obviously Morocco having a, a decent World Cup. I was surprised he didn't make the squad, to be honest. But um, I like, I can see similarities, not just facially, but also in, in Hakim Ziyech, where dribbling is very good. Ziyech is left-footed and Al is right-footed, but dribbling just seems to be a discipline which they were, were probably their best trait. Whereas Ziyech is probably a, a better player technically, was maybe a better uh, crosser of the ball and a better finisher. El Kaduri, I, I was never convinced that he was a great striker of the ball. I felt like if if uh, dribbling was the main object of football, then El Kaduri would be very good. But actually finishing wasn't his sort of main attribute. Um, so yeah, that's just something which sort of popped into my mind as sort of like as a as a fellow fellow countryman, and it's maybe, maybe sort of to do with the sort of coaching of... of of, or maybe even sort of past Moroccan players who they've they've tried to emulate, but I think both of them are very strong in terms of dribbling. And and Ziyech has obviously gone on to have a, a much better career and currently at Chelsea and one of the stars of the World Cup. But yeah, there was I think, I think there's definitely some similarities there in in sort of the way that they play the game. Yeah, I mean I think that spell at Torino was probably the best the best of his career. I'm trying to think back why I was why we used to have those debates. So what was it about El Cadori that I... That... I, I always got the feeling you actually hated him, to be honest. No, no, it wasn't. I, I, I think I always liked I, him too much. Yeah, I think that you might have liked him too much. And I think there were just probably too many games where... Uh, which he didn't influence. And I think maybe one of those... It's, it's sometimes hard looking back. Sometimes when you look back, you look back at the better moments. And there was that assist in Bill Bauer as well for Damien's winner. Um uh, he certainly, he, when Torino played well, he, he tended to play well, and 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 kind of vice versa. I'm just not sure he was a player who 
Um, it was obviously a player Ventura trusted, but I'm, I think he was probably a right fit for Torino at the time. But I guess it was always in, maybe it was always a sensation that this was a player we were going to upgrade eventually. I think the fact, um, just sorry, just going back on that slightly, I think the fact that Ventura trusted him is always, I always found that quite strange, to be honest. He, he wouldn't, didn't sort of strike me as a particular Ventura player. And did he used to whinge a lot when he used to get subs? Was there a few times substituted where he would, he lost his rag with Ventura. Or am I making that up? But I just have a feeling. I don't. I, I didn't like to think about him coming off the pitch. Uh, but, I, was, I was probably sulking at home as well. But I just think of that second season uh, when Immobile left and inexplicably we replaced him on the final day of the transfer window of a Maori. Um, El Cadori very often played uh, up front in that, uh, at least for the start of that season, I remember, until Maxi Lopez came in and then we could uh, eventually play with with Qualiarella and, and Maxi Lopez in attack but yeah I mean I just think he was always one of those players you liked a lot more than me I think that's I that kind of sums it up I mean, really. yeah it's quite a lot of players that I really rate and you I would yeah maybe hate a strong word but I think I think it's a very timely reminder just to sort of remind people that obviously there's a slight age gap in and sort of players that I remember and or players who were sort of before my era, which we try not to sort of talk about too much, just because we don't really have that same memories of. Um, and I think the fact that I've grown up in an era where there's so few players who've been sort of, it's not been a, a, a particularly successful time for Torino, so few players who've sort of caught, caught my imagination that I sort of, I get excited over Emma Kadori, whereas Peter was lucky enough to have Abdi Pelle. Yeah, but I would argue that the probably five or six years before you started supporting Torino were probably the worst. <laughs> like the, the turn of the century, Torino. Um, there was, yeah, there was, there's some, probably some of the worst players you would have ever, you oh, ever I mean, seen. I'm slightly disappointed that Pinga's not had a, a mention on this podcast yet, but maybe, Pinga. maybe there's still time. Well, villain of the week played with Pinga. So are we he ready? Also, he also played with Omar El he played with a lot of people because this, the villain of the week, uh, it's going to be a slightly controversial one. I imagine not everyone is going to agree with it. And it is partially tongue in cheek. I, I, I guess I've chose it more to have a debate as well. But yeah, we've gone, we've mentioned him a lot is Fabio Qualiarella, who had three spells at Torino. Um, albeit the first one, uh, the first between the first and the second one, he was loaned out. But I guess to give a bit of background. He, uh, came through the Torino youth team. He made his debut, Rob, for Torino 23 years ago nearly. And he's still playing in Serie A. I know, is, he pl- I know, is he playing? Oh, I don't know. I think, he's walking about. I, don't, I think this season might be the one. I think he's probably hung around one season too many, especially with the the yeah trouble Sampdoria have. But he is still... He's still technically a regist- registered player in Serie A. So he made his debut 23 years ago. Like Incredible longevity. The other thing, he's played his entire career in Italy, which I also find interesting. He's not had a spell in England. He's not gone to Russia. He's Because he probably was in that mould of players who may have gone to a Russia or a China at a certain point as well. Um, so he came through the youth team, made his debut, as I said, in 2000, and then was farmed out for a few seasons. He played, well, his first loan was with Florentia Viola, which was the Fiorentina when they went, went, 
uh, well, basically when they went bust and couldn't reform initially as Fiorentina and they were in the third or I think probably fourth division, he went there for a short period. And then he had quite a good um, season in Serie Chiwichietti, which when Torino um, were in a bit of a pickle, a bit of a mess back in Serie B in 0405, he, he was one of about seven former Primavera players. Um, Balzaretti, Mantovani, Sorrentino, Pinga, uh, Mezzano and Comotto. Um, so it was a team that had a lot of um, goodwill from the fans, despite the position the club were in, because there were a lot of players with links with Turin and, and the youth team. And he was one of them. So that was his breakthrough season, um, which ended in the infamous playoff win over Perugia, which eventually saw his stay in Serie B. Uh, and he started that season very well. We just thought, wow, this is a really exciting kind of second striker playing with Massimo Marazzina. Scored in the first three games. We won the first five games. And then he just, as the weeks went on, he just lost confidence completely. Um, and then had a bit of a revival towards the end of the season, um, scoring uh, in the playoff semi, the winner in the playoff semi final. Uh, but then Torino went. Um, bankrupt that summer we lost all of the players and I know you've I've kind of mentioned this before I was very disappointed that none of the players stayed on um, I kind of understand to an extent why a lot of them didn't but Qualiorello again was a um, a kind of youth team player links with the club wasn't ab- above playing in Serie B at that time that's for sure um, and then he didn't hang around and from memory uh, I think did he go to Ascoli? Um, he went to Ascoli, who may who may have been the beneficiaries of Torino not going up to Serie A um, because Perugia also weren't allowed up. Um, but anyway, it's a different story. Then he went off and had his career, and his career he ended up well, it has ended up being a scorer of great goals wherever he's been. Um, I don't wind a, up at, just, just quickly, Peter. Sorry to interrupt you. Do you have a favourite non-Torino Quagliarella goal? Well, this is one of the things I was going to get onto. Um, but yeah, I'll kind of jump ahead to this point. If you, he's very famous for his goals, isn't he? Very, very famous. Very much, for the it, very much like a, a YouTube player. What it, it, I, I feel like if obviously the peak of Quagliarella's career was probably maybe sort of ten, fifteen years ago. But I feel like if Twitter was around more then, he'd probably be even more popular because. It, he would be a player who would score a screamer from 40 yards, but that might be the only thing that he would have done in the game. And so if you you would have an impression of him as being this, this unbelievable striker, which I think maybe some people who, who, some people do, and not to, uh, that does seem very harsh because obviously he did, did win the Capicanieri only a couple of years ago, but I think he would be a very popular football for sort of your casual Italian football footballer without sort of knowing sort of the intricacies of, of why he had so many moves and why sort of people might not might not like him so much. Yeah, well I think you're coming on to two on to two points I was gonna go on to interestingly. The first the goal, I think if you had a show rule of his top thirty goals, wouldn't be any from Torino. No. Which is which is one of the strange uh, kind of quirk quirkisms is that we had this player who was a scorer of great goals and he was never He just scored he st- scored some decent goals, scored all penalty penalties. But for us I don't, it might be slight confirmation bias from my side, but I don't think. Yeah, he he certainly didn't score one of those, but, you know, uh, epic Quagliarelli goals. I mean, obviously, for us. he was getting old. I mean, there probably wasn't. It, he's not scored in the second spell at Sampdoria. I don't think he would have scored any goal, which would sort of be sort of classified as like a, a great goal either. I think 
as he got older, his game totally changed where he was maybe a second striker and now he's become sort of more of just like a, a penalty box finisher. Um, and he sort of wasn't even in the positions to be able to score these these screamers from 30 yards. I think the goal that stands out for me for, would be um, the goal he scored in the World Cup against Slovakia, the chip, when he came off the bench. I think that's probably my favourite Qualiarella goal. Um, just, yeah, just a, a very good goal and oh, I'm, just a, I'm just a sucker for a chip, but... No, I, well, he scored a lot of chips and a lot of a lot of volleys and quite a few acrobatic. A lot of his goals said that you know they they put the actual um, drawing they used to use for the for the Panini albums yeah, yeah. could have easily been Qualiarella. Um, or but, Belotti. Yeah, or, or Belotti. <laughs> but I'll, I'll come on to uh, I'll come on to I'll pick up on some of your other points in a second. But so, but he went off. He had his dream move to Napoli, which I think is very important. And, um, context for what is to come, and I think we because it didn't work out for him at Napoli, and there's reasons it didn't work out for him at Napoli. He ended up going to Juventus, where he had four seasons. I got a bit his Juventus spell again is not that really associates him with being a Juventus player. Um, and then Torino picked him up at the age of 31, effectively to replace. I think to replace Immobile and Churchy, because he probably had both of those, a bit of both in him. Um, although you're saying, yeah, more of a penalty box uh, player at the time, but I think we brought him in to be a forward who could score goals, but and be, and be creative. On the start, on the start, his decline, I think. Again, decline seems really start, harsh because he, he obviously still playing, but I think he was probably that was the, the beginning of him having to, and that's probably why we don't remember him scoring these great goals for Torino, just because his style of play had to change a little bit because I think his body was probably not allowing him to do the things that he would have done previously. Yeah, and I, I mean, he came back to Torino. It was a fairly successful spell he played in, probably the most, certainly the most successful season, most enjoyable season of the past twenty years, and he was an integral part of that, but. Um, I think what started to annoy Torino fans was he had a tendency to score against his former clubs. Admittedly, there were a lot of them. Um, so there was a spell where he scored three in as many games against Fiorentina, Napoli and Udinese. I can't remember if he didn't celebrate against Fiorentina since as as he played for Florentia, Viola and not Fiorentina, but he probably didn't. He, he's, he's slightly pious, but... It just and then he scored a hat trick against Samp in one of his best performances. We won five one. It was Ventura really annoyed me at that during that game because he told us to go easy on Samp. Him Ventura being a Samp fan uh, um, when we were five one up, um, and so he scored. He scored. Um, he scored a fair thirteen goals in that first season, but you felt you could never celebrate any of them. Um, <laughs> Uh, and he scored the winner against. Okay, we've talked about it twenty times. He scored the winner against Juventus, the only winning goal Torino have scored against Juventus since nineteen ninety five. Qualiarelli, yes, he did play for Juventus, but no Juventus fan, I'm pretty confident, would have been offended had Qualiarelli stripped his shirt off, ran ran over under the maratona and celebrated. They, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have I mean, Amari, Amari celebrated for goals <laughs> he didn't score. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, it was a very tepid celebration of probably the most one of the most important Torino goals. I would I would say this, the 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 most important Torino goal of this century. Well, yeah, I mean, it could it could well be in terms of in terms what of it what meant, it and what it meant to the fans. I think, I what, think you could, what you it could, meant to the fans you could make that claim. And then, 
yeah, so that, that didn't sit well with Torino supporters. And then the following season was a bit of a strange one. Um, so he started the season very well. He scored, he scored a few goals. And then we had this penalty in Naples. He'd scored against Napoli away previous season, but we got a penalty in Naples, which he scores and then apologises to the Napoli fans for scoring. That was a, basically his last contribution in a Torino shirt. He sat on the bench for the rest of January. And then we brought in, I brought Giro Immobile back and then Qualiorella went to Sampdoria. And this is where I think we need to give Qualiorella a bit of slack because what we didn't understand at the time was the whole backstory about the stalker in Naples. And it was effectively, I think, an apology to the Napoli fans without him being able to tell them why. Uh, but he got he got a lot of abuse from Napoli fans for, go, for the, being a Neapolitan going to Juventus. Um, so... The story with Napoli, I think we completely understand. I think we completely understand. I think I remember very vividly you telling me at the time when Qualiorella played for Torino, it felt like he was doing his favour. It felt a bit like he was above Torino. And I think that's one of the things with the derby goal that annoyed us. It was like he didn't want to offend his, you know, he'd probably go out for dinner with Buffon and, and Chiellini that night. And whether that's true or not, but he just felt like he was more, yeah, it probably felt when he was you, you, maybe he was more in that circle than in 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 the Torino circle um but he didn't he didn't always look happy and i think we can understand why because he uh, was be honest, go, going through he, enormous yeah enormous stress in his personal looked, life do you think he's no, ever I don't, happy i don't think he ever and that's i guess i guess a twofold thing there's a probably a big reason at that time where he wasn't happy but yeah that kind of personality as well um Coupled with the non-celebrating, coupled despite the fact he played for Torino three times, never actually feeling like he had um, an affinity with the club. And I think, and I do uh, think, part partially because of that is obviously he did come through the Primavera, but he wasn't from Turin. And I think maybe that sort of, I think we as Torino fans, when players come from your academy, ideally they're going to be from the city. Ideally they're going to be Torino fans. Alessandro Bongiorno probably the only real example that we've got at the moment I think you can maybe understand Qualirella of having maybe this detachment from the shirt because he isn't a Torino fan he's a Napoli fan even though he came he started his career at Torino he probably didn't have that same sort of feeling that a Bongiorno would have had or 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 maybe other players who who have that sort of same identity to sort of their hometown club even though he obviously he started at such a young age but but I think the juxtaposition is that you you could respect him for not bullshitting us. It's like I'm not, you know, I'm not a Torino fan. Yeah, he was never like a, he was never a badge kisser. He was never that certainly wasn't. But but then he played such respect for every one of his former opponents. But it's I like, always felt, well, and I always got the feeling that he did celebrate against Torino, and I'm not sure whether that was just. Missed, uh, there like... was definitely there was a there's a time Sampdoria beat us when I think when we were under Giampaolo and he scored, and I don't. It was one of those celebrations where. It felt like he wanted to celebrate, but then remembered his own rule, his own yeah. code. Um, but I just remember James Richardson was on the Football Clichés podcast where they do um, where they do their kind of uh, Desert Island Discs, um, Mesut Island Discs, uh, Mesut Island Discs, I'll get there. Um, and he chose one of his favourite football things being Fabio Qualiorella. And I think there's a truism that, there's a true thing here that Fabio Qualiorella, for, like you said, the casual Italian football fan or a general fan he's one of those players that, that doesn't offend you if he 
whoever he's playing for because he scores great goals. He probably conducts himself quite well. He doesn't rub your face in it. But I don't think, I get the impression the teams he's played for. I don't think Juventus fans have a massive, uh, they can probably, he was a kind of squad player there. Napoli, there was the issues. Uh, there's a lot of clubs, Udinese, Atalanta. Did he play for Atalanta? Certainly Udinese. Uh, Fiorentini didn't stay longer, long at. And I think it's probably only Sampdoria where probably he is loved by the fan base he's played for. So there's a kind of strange thing there where loved by, well, love might be too strong, but certainly admired by the general Italian football fan, even if he's not played for their team. But if he has played for your team, maybe maybe people a bit more lukewarm to him. Tahiri reminds me probably a little bit, in that, and this isn't a podcast, just me comparing footballers to other footballers. But in that regard, there is somebody who maybe not um, physically reminds me of them, but just in terms of the fact that he was a player who was capable of these great moments, but probably not a great player. And probably for your casual fan, you would think he's a much better player than somebody who watches him quite regularly and sort of fans of those teams is maybe Fabrizio Micheli. And he had this spell of scoring these unbelievable goals, but I don't think you would have, you probably identify him with maybe one team and then he probably went to other sides and also played for Juventus and probably somebody who they would, Juventus fans would probably put Quagliarella and Micheli in the same similar bracket. I mean, probably couldn't be different in terms of how they live their how they live their yeah. careers because I'm pretty sure Mickley didn't play till he was 39 bear in mind wow. he's only 43 now um but yeah I think uh, that that's just just in terms of the fact that I think sometimes you'll have players who attract and it's probably a good thing for the league I mean Serie A is, is definitely not what it was in the 90s and you probably do need these players to to sort of bring eyes on the league and even if it's just scoring this wonderful goal and, and you send somebody a link on it's a bit easier now with maybe Twitter and things if sort of right there's no copyright issues and things but I I can remember sort of when it wasn't easy to watch Italian football in the UK like being sent or, or seeing goals on YouTube of Quagliarella scoring these, this little 30 yard screamer so I think in, in some ways it's a good a good thing for the league to have these players but um I I I I think I once the the stuff came out about the stalker, I, I think I put a poll on Twitter, which was about now that you know that does your attitude between Quagliarella has it has it changed, um, and it was sort of overwhelmingly the yes. I think people not quite sort of saw him in a positive light, but sort of were a bit more sympathetic and maybe regretted the way in which he was treated towards the end of it. That being said. I fully accept, I fully agree that he should be categorised as a villain, if only for the the failure well, to th- celebrate the Juventus score. I think it boils down to that. I think if he'd scored that, not scored, I think if he'd celebrated that goal against Juventus, may even not be having this debate. But it was just and it, and, and, yeah. and and weirdly enough, had he not scored that goal against Juventus, he probably could have still been at the club. But, well, whether whether he would have played till thirty nine, I'm sure. I mean. Torino thankfully had a, a, a more successful last couple of seasons than uh, than Sampdoria. But if you think in 2019 he was the the top scorer in the league, like he still had the, this ability to to score goals, and that's only sort of four years after he left Torino. There's, it's it. Will, I think he would be one of those players. I, I do wonder 
we've already played Samp, unfortunately, and if he does retire this season, uh, we've already played Samp at home, so if he does retire this season, it would be interesting to see what sort of what reception he would get if it would sort of been made that been made known been made known prior that he was about to retire. Because I think I think a lot of Torino fans have probably changed their opinion on him from when he left in the situation with the Napoli game. But uh yeah, no, I agree I agree. I think he he, he has to be be down in the villain category. There we go. Well that was a yeah, I think it'll be I think it's probably a yeah maybe our most controversial villain. Up with Joe Hart in the controversial hero for some people. Um but anyway, we don't I wanted to talk about Fiorentina because it's it's one of the bees in my bonnet, but um Fiorentina away from home. I I know I've mentioned this in the pop. We've not beat them since nineteen seventy six, right? Um, in the league. Well, I don't think we've beaten them league or cup since nineteen seventy six. So, and I was watching match of the day on the weekend and they said I I'm gonna bring it on to Southampton, but they said Southampton hadn't won Everton in quarter of a century. Correct. Which I know I know Southampton haven't always been in the Premier League during that time. Torino and Torino and Fiorentina have, have played in Serie B, they've had little spells out. But so Torino to my count, and I got a bit of boggle eye doing this, I think it's thirty four league games since we won in Florence. All right. Fiorentina had a era of Batistuta and Rui Costa and Torino had abysmal teams, but we've had several of those matches. We we, we would have been the we would have been the stronger team. Do, there does need to be a massive caveat here. In that this stat would be since two thousand and fourteen, had it not been for Alessia Church missing the penalty. Well that still would I think it still would have been one win in thirty four and we probably yeah, still would have, and we would have talked about it and we said the only time we beat them is when they wanted us to win. <laughs> And we, we couldn't we and, couldn't even beat them when they wanted us to win. That we couldn't even beat it. Uh, if I look back at the nineteen eighties, there was an industrial quantity of nil nil draws in Florence. And I think when two points for a win, there was probably the the friendship between the clubs, I don't know, and it was a kind of nice it was a kind of nice pact. Um it's I think it's one of the most embarrassing runs that's gotta be out there. I mean you could go thirty four games anywhere is pitiful, but Fiorentina, a club a team a lot of the time at our level. Um, if we'd gone 34 home games unbeaten against them and it just been some kind of pack between us, then I'd accept that. But we're overdue a win in Florence and actually we've got to go to Florence twice in two weeks. Um, so are you suggesting that we take, first... we take a draw on Saturday and then we win in the cup? Well, I'll tell you, I think we're overdue two wins in Florence. Yeah. And I just, I got this fear that if we beat Fiorentina this weekend, that there's no way we'll do it in the cup unless, unless we draw it and go through. Um, so that's, I don't like these playing teams twice because I just don't see us winning both, both the games. Um, uh, they're a funny, very, very funny team because they've had, they've had a lot of the investment that we would like to see at Torino. Um, uh, but it's, a lot of it has not come off. They've got players on the bench who on paper would walk into our team. Um, but yet, despite having quite a good coach or a coach that plays quite good football, a bit um, not dissimilar to Urich in some ways, they're not, they're not really some of the parts and they're, you know, between the two teams where there's probably not a lot to choose between the results over the past two seasons. Um so I think it's a very interest, intriguing match, but I just, yeah, I can't believe it's, I can't believe we've gone 
I wasn't alive last time. Torino won in in in, and, in in Florence. And what what happened in the in the year that Torino last beat Fiorentina? Well, exactly. We 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 won the Scudetto, and um, you know maybe we have to win in Florence to win a trophy. And I I don't know. What would you? Um. Yeah, I guess if you're going to win one, you'd rather win the cup match. Yeah. But our league form is. I am a bit worried. I, I'm, about this our is, league form, it, this is something which obviously, uh, obviously, it's a, it's a cool stat, and it's sort of, um, it is sort well, of, it does beg a belief that it's been that long since we've beaten them. But like, I don't think any of those players in the change room are going to be like, Oof, not, we've not beat, it, we've not won it since 1976. It, it is just unfortunately one of those quirky things that there is no logic to it. There is no well, reason to it. I I don't see I don't see it being reported that much. Anyway, um, it's not like we go. It's not like the derby where someone always pins up an inf- a stat. Um, but yeah, no, you're right in that sense. And I do think a lot of those games, at a certain point, where a point suited both teams, or a, yeah, I think we, we probably, are, I probably, are, I think we probably to our twins, where where especially late on in the season, if 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 either side needed a point, then you you'd bet your house on it being a draw, yeah, either either home or away. Um. But yeah, I think that's it's a stat that I'd like to see us change. But yeah, yeah, What's I mean, your, what, I, what... I, I I agree with you. And it, even though this this has, if anything, us winning on Saturday makes it more likely that we would win in the cup as well. But I just don't think that would would happen. So I I would take a draw here. I do. I agree. I, I our league form is a worry, but I think I don't think we're gonna get relegated. I don't think we could get into Europe, so we might as well just put all of our eggs in the the Coppa Italia shaped basket. And and if we lose, if we lose on Saturday, then sort of we've only got a couple more. We've only got sort of like a you, ten days to go would, until we until we play again. Would you be worried if we lost in Florence and in Empoli that then we go to the cup game, refocusing misguidedly maybe on the league, but just yeah, I think. A, I think a lot of it depends. I mean, you, a lot, a lot of teams and a lot of managers can sort of use the cup as literally a distraction. And even if we are in poor form, even if we are in poor form before, before that game, then I think that even makes it more important. And it's like, well, we've sort of sacked off the league a little bit now, so we've got no excuse. Because otherwise, what if we, if let's say we we lose. Let's say we draw both of these games, Fiorentina and Empoli, then we lose the cup game. And it was like, well, we, we've got another sort of challenge for for eighth place again. It's it's not going to be a se- like the only way that the season doesn't sort of descend into just sort of monotony is is if we manage to to beat Fiorentina in the cup. Prediction? I go one one. One one. Yeah, I think the only way we get one right. I think we'll play well in Florence. Uh, we might come come short of what we deserve, but I think yeah, I might go two two. We'll get two goals, but yeah. Oh well, well therapy finished for another week. Um, I'll see you when we don't when we extend our unbeaten run in Florence to however many years that is. Painful amount of years. What would be too many years? Too many years, but yeah. Onwards and upwards. Have a good week, everyone. Forza Toro. Forza Toro.